This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Welcome back to another week of Brewers Unfiltered, our 24th episode of the season. Uh, It's been a a great stretch here, and we are getting into the best part of the baseball season. So thanks for checking in with us on Brewers Unfiltered. It is Adam McCalvey, Tim Dillard, and Sophia Minnert. 24th episode, and guys, August behind us. Fortunately for the Brewers, it was a good month. They went 17-9, and uh, continue to add to the division lead. Tough series for them against the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley. Dropped two out of three there, but came home. Won two out of three against the Philadelphia Phillies, who are also uh, in contention for the postseason. And now they have hit the road for a three-game set against the Pittsburgh Pirates and then a three-game series against the New York Yankees. So uh, as we started the series here in Pittsburgh, took the loss last night with Corbin Burns on the mound. But here we go. It is September, um, Labor Day weekend behind us. Adam is refreshed, ready to go. Tim, I think, is caffeinated, refreshed, and ready to go. And there are 25 games left here of the regular season. Hard to believe. I mean, when you say those August numbers, it really stands out to me, Sophia, because, you know, the with uh, CC Sabathia and Ben Sheets in the house on the last homestand, we were thinking all a lot about 2008. And I remember that 20 and seven August, that number stands out. And I mean, this year's, this year's club was not far behind that. And I think that is kind of a, I don't know, kind of a, like a, a check of how solid they played in the month of August and put themselves as Craig council likes to say in a good position going into September and, and give yourselves a little bit of a cushion when you run into a series loss like you did in Chicago where, I don't know, I'm not, I don't mean to be soft about it, but like those were just kind of weird games where the conditions played such a role and whichever team like got the most singles was going to win the game kind of. So it was, it was a different kind of series there. Um, but I, it just stands out to me that, that this was a, one of the better Augusts they've ever had. To add to um, the context of it, this this is their best month of the season. Um, you know, March and April, they went 18 and 10. And then August, 17 and 9, they scored 5.31 runs per game in August. The team earned run average was a 336. And they the pitching staff held the opponent average down to just 206, which was the lowest of any team in the month of August and the lowest of any team at any month of the season. We talked a lot about the pitching staff. Um, so it's kind of like everything started to come together for them in August. And even after that tough series against the Cubs guys, Craig Council, you know, it's it's easy to look back and say, man, could you could you win that series? Could you have even swept them? Could you add to the lead? You could think back to the 
the, the July series right at home in terms of looking at the Chicago Cubs. And, and Craig Council put it all in great perspective. He said, well, it feels like we're leaving with a three-game lead. And today, with, with 25 games left on the season, it's a two-and-a-half-game lead over the Cubs. Um, and we know that there's that big series looming at the end. So 25 games left. What do you think are kind of the, the questions that this team needs to answer? Maybe what can they sustain from a great month of August? Um, of kind of it feels like health-wise they're in a good position. Um, but September, it's going to be a challenge. Well, I think from like the player's standpoint, you know, you, you're tired. <laughs> Your body's just tired. You've been through it. We're, we're like, hey, we're in September. Yeah, but these guys wake up every day and it just it takes a little longer to get moving. And when you go to stretch, your body takes longer to stretch and the bats get heavier and the arms get heavier. And um, that's just September. And so I think the biggest challenge for this team is to get over the Groundhog Day of it. You know, if you don't like the movie Groundhog Day, you're not going to like being a professional baseball player. And you got to find ways to count, you know, get around that. And to me, if they can just keep the intensity going, the creativity, the energy, um, some of my favorite teammates when you're when it's down the stretch and everybody's tired and you want to see that light at the end of the tunnel it's it's the biggest names that are in the clubhouse that are ones that can bring the most energy like when you see the big names in the clubhouse getting amped up for a game that resonates with everybody so I think when September comes it's it's about those big leaders in the clubhouse they need to step it up a notch just with like with with how they come to the field every day and that'll be contagious on everybody else because a lot of times when you're playing well uh, and it gets towards the end of the season you're just like let me just get there let me just get there and I felt like that was a little bit of 2021 if we can just get there but they they got to the playoffs and they weren't really ready for that honestly Um, so I think it's about hey not just the finish line but let's just crush the finish line and just keep going yeah if I think about like the biggest question down the stretch it's it's like it's probably the offense you know, we've talked a lot about that. So I'm going to go even bigger picture than just saying one facet of the team like that. To me, it's like in the in the very, very big picture, how hard do they push the pedal to the metal in these remaining weeks? So as we're sitting here talking, the division lead is two and a half games. There is incredible incentive, obviously, to win the division and avoid the, the wild card thing. So that is clear that is clearly the goal win the division <clears throat> let's say they're fortunate enough to kind of maintain this cushion that they've built themselves and you get towards the end we know that chris hook and craig council are going to go for rest all the time like that is their philosophy of how best to manage 162 games plus you hope 20 in the playoffs or whatever it is um That hurt them a couple of years ago when they had that big division cushion and they rested everybody down the stretch. Craig Council has, we've talked about him uh, with him about this a lot. He has no regrets about the way they handled that. They believe that rest is the way to go. And I I give them credit for having a philosophy and sticking with it. Um, I think when you talk to some of the players who are involved in that, it hurt them. So I don't know exactly what I'm saying. I'm not saying you want, I'm not saying you don't want to try to win the division by a lot of games and clinch the thing with a week to go. I'm just saying I'm curious (laughs) to see how it sort of plays out and whether that Cubs Brewers series in American Family Field at the end is a supercharged series with the division on the line or something less than that. And if it's less than that, how they handle 
resting guys and how you balance that, um, you know, staying sharp versus, you know, being fresh. Like Tim talks about, this is a very difficult time of year for players. So again, I'm, I don't want anyone to tell me, oh my God, you're an idiot. You're saying don't try to win the division by 10 games. I'm not saying Oh my that. gosh, you're an idiot. <laughs> I, I'm oh, just saying if there's, there's always like a, one. Oh, okay. <laughs> if there's a big question the rest of the way, my question is, what is this going to look like in the final week? And what does that mean for um, you know, what sort of state of sharpness, particularly these hitters are in as we go into October? I think I think that's all really valid and I think the the September schedule is that's where it's going to be a challenge in terms of trying to lock up this division before that final homestand and before that final series against the Cubs. Um, you know, they've got three games here in Pittsburgh. They are going to be off on Thursday, September 7th. And after that when they start the New York Yankee series, it is 17 consecutive games, um, and that will take them all the way to September 25th, which is the Monday before that final homestand, and they will finish with three games against the Cardinals and then three games with the Cubs. Now, in terms of how that 17-game stretch breaks down, you're going to get, in terms of the postseason picture, you're going to play the Marlins seven times, four games at home on the upcoming homestand, then it'll be three games against the Nationals. Then that final road trip takes them back to St. Louis for four games and another three games with Miami. So in terms of postseason implications or teams that are contending, like we know that wild card race is totally jammed up for that those second two spots in the wild card race, the Marlins are trying to factor into that. Um, so again, 17 consecutive games to your point about Guys are tired. <laughs> um, you know, when we talked to Craig at the start of the month, he said you can't really look at it. People want to call it this sprint. It's not a sprint. Uh, that's that's a mistake. Maybe it's a sprint the last week. But um, that's, that's not it. And also just I think a, a question that they're going to have to answer is how can you keep the strength of this team, right, the starting rotation, in this good, healthy place, right? You've just gotten Brandon Woodruff back. Freddie Peralta just won. National League Pitcher of the Month in August after Corbin Burns won National League Pitcher of the Month in July. Adrian Hauser's on the IL. He's trying to come back, avoid a minor league rehab. He could slot in on that upcoming homestand against the Marlins or the Nationals. So as we were starting the series in Pittsburgh, there was even the conversation about going back to a six-man rotation. Adam, to your point, to keep these guys well-rested and on a schedule and with the idea of there, we hope that they're pitching deep into October. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of questions to answer there of how do you keep this pitching staff, which is the strength of this team and has gotten this team to this point in this healthy place. I think a lot of it's going to be determined by what are the standings look like. Um, yes. You know, so, so sorry to cut you off there, Tim, but I just think that, you know, some of those questions are open ended right now and it's a good thing to have the flexibility to line, you know, to do to answer these questions the way you want to answer them, and not be forced to answer them in a certain way because you only have so many healthy arms. They 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 have put themselves going into September in a good place in terms of I think where everybody stands. And I think as as far as the weariness factor, um, because they've built in extra days, I think they feel like those arms in particular are in a a really good position as they go into this this long stretch with yeah, the last I think the last six games are going to 
determine everything, de- depending on what the standings are at that time and how you start lining up and what the schedule looks like. And um, I, But I think Craig Council's tipped his hand a little bit when it comes to, like, just going back to last night, first game of the Pirates series, running Burns back out with 94 pitches, runs him back out for the sixth. And I think guys have been going deeper into ball games. You're starting to see 100 pitches. Woodruff's gone 100 pitches. I I don't think they should start limiting. I know they're going to decide on rest, but I don't think they should. I, I mean, if, if they have a chance to go back out, you need to read the player. If Brandon Woodruff wants to go back out for another inning and says, I want to go back, he should. I mean, listen to the players and what they want instead of, well, hey, maybe we should try this and that. Just listen to the players. I mean, these guys have reached a point where they, they're allowed to – they have that clout. Brandon or, uh, Burns probably was like, hey, I'm going back out for the sixth. It's like, yeah, you should. <laughs> and well, you are. He's a and guy, too, who's always going to be this was a different standings – yeah, but if it was a different standings, right, and if it was later on in the season, you know, maybe Craig Council goes, no, nah, maybe you should just rest. Uh, I think he should listen to the players. I think they should get more boisterous about what they want to do, and I think that's going to benefit everybody. Well, as we're looking at it, uh, Corbin Burns pitched last night, first game against Pittsburgh. That's his 28th start of the season. He's sitting at 171 innings. Freddie Peralta just behind him, 26 starts. He's thrown 145 innings. Wade Miley is coming up on 20 starts. His next one will be 20. He's at 100 innings. Um, Brandon Woodruff, of course, just coming back from his injury. He's coming up on his eighth start. He's only at 40 innings. So you get it. I mean, we, it's been a heavy workload for these guys, and it's it's only going to get heavier. But we should talk about Freddie Peralta earning National League Pitcher of the Month. This is maybe as locked in as we've seen Freddie, guys. Um, it's been an incredible run for him. In August, five games, he went 5-0, and a 2-10 earned run average, 46 strikeouts to just 10 walks. The opponent average for him in August, just 162. Um, if you take it even further back, his last seven, essentially coming out of the All-Star break, his earned run average is less than two. So Freddie, National League Pitcher of the Month in August. Corbin had won it in July. This is uh, this is what you want. You know, this is, this is what you want to see. And I think for Freddie, um, we've talked about this a lot, health, 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 the fact that he has made every start and now it feels like he's peaking in the second half at these numbers is huge. And I think uh, you could not ask for more, I think, from what Freddie Peralta has done here in the second half. Well, I'll go first because I, I'd like to hear what Tim has to say about Freddie. I like how you pointed at me like I'm going to go. I know, but then I thought, you know what, because you have more insight than me, so I'm going to say something first so that then whatever you say is I've already said it. (laughs) (laughs) I think in my non-expert pitching opinion, until before we hear from Tim and his expert pitching opinion. I think you're seeing a confident version of Freddie Peralta because he's confident that he's healthy after not being healthy for so much of last season. So to me, if you look, Freddie Peralta is the second most valuable pitcher in baseball in the second half. Um, And the numbers stand out of, of strike throwing to me. First half, a 27% strikeout rate. Since the All-Star break, that's jumped more than 12%, 39.6% strikeout rate in the second half. He's also walking fewer. That's gone down something like 2%, a 9.6% walk rate in the first half, 7.4% after. And this is simple to the point of sounding dumb, but like Freddie Peralta is the kind of pitcher who's good because he doesn't allow hits, which isn't how every pitcher gets it done. I mean, 
Like Adrian Hauser gives up some hits, Wade Miley gives up some hits, and then they pitch around that stuff. Um, Freddie Peralta just doesn't give up base runners when he's right. And his whip, 1.30 in the first half, 0.85 in the second. So he's just not allowing base runners. And I think it's a, it's a sign of a pitcher who's filling up the strike zone with lots of confidence. Yeah, that's all I was going to say. It, it all boils down... It all boils down to more strikes. It's just more strikes. That's really all it is. And it's a little bit less fastball um, in these last seven starts and a little bit more changeup. I think the changeup has come on just huge. And it's a little bit less slider and it's a little bit more curveball. And I think he was messing with the formula all season long and trying to figure out where all this, where all his pitches need to line up and what it needs to look like. And I think it came down to a little adjustments with what his pitch usage is and then throwing more strikes. And a lot of times, if you're a pitcher and you throw more strikes, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, you think you're probably going to give up more hits. You're probably going to give up more home runs or stuff like that. That's not been the case. His strikeouts have gone up. And if you look at home runs, he gave up six home runs all of May, seven in June, three in July, just two in August. So what's the side effect of him throwing more pitches in the zone? He's getting more strikeouts and, and actually less contact, which is incredible. Uh, and, of course, the walks have plummeted because of that. So I, I think he is bought into, when you're talking about the confidence, I think he's bought into the formula of his pitches and knowing that more strikes means more good things. And the reason is because he would, he would nibble around the zone in like really just one inning of a start. He would nibble around the zone, and then eventually he would throw that cookie, and guys would take a big league chew out of it. So that was really all it was, was that big base hit that he gave up in just one inning after a couple of walks and you know 40 pitches in an inning. He's eliminated that to the point where uh, he can throw his stuff in the zone with confidence, um, and that's what you're seeing. To, to me, it's just all it is is more strikes. Two pitchers in the big leagues are better than two war in the second half. Freddie Peralta is one of them. If either of you can name – the the war the Fangraphs war leader in the second half in Major League Baseball. I will buy you, you know, all the all the post game <laughs> beverages in New York City. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> yeah. I I'm 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 going to be wrong here since that with that buildup, but my guess would be Justin Steele. It's a great guess, but you are could not be more off. And the only way you would know the answer to this is if it were a a, a stat that Brian Mikalogic had put in front of you on Bally, because you'd <laughs> never guess Cole Reagan's of the Kansas City Royals is four and one with a one five one oh, ERA, yeah, yeah. eight stars. I was gonna guess. Is him. that gonna be your guess, Tim? Did I take it? I didn't get it. I did, yeah, oh, that was it. Shoot. Only because I saw a tweet today. Um, I forgot who I follow on Twitter, but they tweeted some like little video of him about how he's been so good. So I kind of watched it and I was like, oh, well, I good. owe you all the beverages. <laughs> then you got, I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. I'm lying. I have no idea. <laughs> well, I just, I want to add one thing on, on Freddie Peralta and, and we've talked about this on the air, but this is just kind of where I feel like the pitching staff is so good. Like Chris hook and Nestor corridor and Walker McKinman. This is where like these, this is where it's like, how well Chris Hook knows these guys. So um, in, in July, Tim highlighted some of the struggles he had in, in June and July. And it was like 
it felt like he was close or it was one long inning or one bad inning or a multi-homer or, you know, it was just, it was always kind of like he was there, he was healthy, it was good. And then it was one inning and, or one mistake that would end up costing him. And, and Tim mentioned some of the home run numbers for him in June and July. And so his start against the Braves, he gave up six runs. I think there were maybe two home runs in there. It was five innings for him, just kind of frustrated, um, and so they put together this collage of pictures for Freddie. And one of them is like a serious looking Freddie with like this guy in like, you know, business clothes, like khakis and button down shirt and like very serious. And then the other pictures are the Freddie that we know, right? Freddie, the big smile, having fun, loose, energy, confident, all the things that we know Freddie is. And that was essentially the message. It was like, you're Freddie Peralta. You have been a really good pitcher in this league. We just need you to be Freddie Peralta. Just go out there, be yourself, smile, bring your energy, pitch with emotion, like be yourself. They felt they felt like he was getting a little too, a little too tight or a little too anxious or or maybe pressing or, or maybe being too fine on the edges, right? So all of that kind of came together, and he came back with that 13 strikeout game against the Reds and it feel like after that he's just taken off you know that was his last start of July was that 13 strikeout game against the Reds and then obviously August happened so I I just think it's like this is where this this coaching staff they know these guys so well and sometimes it's the right message at the right time sometimes it's not always mechanics I think it really did help him like just free him up of like okay you have the stuff you're right there you're healthy trust yourself and and go out and, and do your thing. And I just think it's I, I love I just love that story because it's I think it just it's how it, how it all comes together, you know, of, of how it can connect with a player. And, and it's not always the only reason. Right. But there's a lot of reasons why he's been so good here recently. But I just do love that, uh, you know, is something different for him. It's a less Republic and a little more. What's this? What's the store that's more fun? I don't well, the Dominicans would call it flow. Buckle. The you know, buckle. Like, yeah, the buckle. <laughs> Armani exchange. <laughs> Auntie Anne's pretzel. Are you just naming Is Buddy what Squirrel you... still a thing? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. He's a little. Oh, really? Buddy Squirrel is a candy store in the mall. Maybe it's a regional thing. We'll send Tim on an adventure. <laughs> to go find out for us. <laughs> yeah. Now I have now I'm on assignment. Well, I'll say this about about Freddie. And so with with everything nowadays, more so than it's been, there were so many analytical nuances. It can be how you grip a ball, it could be your mechanics, it can be your sequences in the zone, it can be a lot of that stuff. And Sophia, when you're talking about just kind of a revamp of like, hey, you're a good pitcher and we enjoy you and we like when you're who you are, you need a reset button that's not so analytical. Uh, just personally for me in my career, I, I felt like I was good, couldn't get over the hump of doing, you know, trying to get to the next step of me and my pitching journey. And I, I ended up in Venezuela and I come into a game, there's like 30,000 people in the stands and it's like the game's on the line, like the seventh or eighth inning and I throw a ball and the whole place just starts booing me. And then I throw a strike and everybody goes crazy. And then I throw a ball and everybody boos. But then I get a foul ball and everybody cheers. We'll end up striking this guy out in like a big moment. And 
for whatever reason, the emotion that I had of just my journey in my entire life, I just gave the biggest like fist pump ever. And I have never been that guy. I'm not a fist pump guy. <laughs> I'm the guy that's like, if I get an out, I'm more like, thank God I got an out, you know? And I just fist pumped and I was like, I was screaming. I come off the field and like the whole dugouts out there. And I mean, I'm thinking, is the game over? Like, did I get the inning wrong? Like, you know, I, but it was just this reset button for me in my life and my passion about what makes you love baseball that much. And when you have so many analytical driven things, sometimes you need to kind of push that aside and just say, that's not the issue. The issue is trying to get back at the heartstrings of what you love about baseball so much. And what I've seen from Freddie is that he just, he's made adjustments and he loves baseball now probably more than he ever has. We love it. It's a fun time of year. It's fun, uh, fun to get into September. And uh, we've got a lot more players to talk about on the offensive end. We'll talk about William Contreras. He has been uh, just on a on a hot streak right now. 14-game hitting streak for him. We'll also talk about the trade, di- trade deadline additions with Mark Hanna and Carlos Santana. They've now been with the team for over a month. They're starting to factor into the offensive picture in a really big way. So we'll uh, take a look at all of that coming up next on Brewers Unfiltered. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're back on Brewers Unfiltered, and as we're talking about the great month of August that the Brewers were able to put together to hopefully set them up uh, for more momentum and more winning here in September, uh, we should talk about William Contreras, guys, and Craig Council often talks about it's different players driving the bus offensively, and it feels like William Contreras has been a pretty regular bus driver, if we're going to stick with that analogy. Um, He has just been... On a hot streak, he is on his third hitting streak of 10-plus games. It's currently a career-high 14 games for William. In that stretch, a three fifty seven average. He has 20 hits, three home runs, 12 RBIs. Um, and it's just been steady, steady, steady. It feels like it's that threat of damage every time he's up there. He's been excellent with runners in scoring position. Um, and again, it's just, it's been his consistency right at the top of the order that I think has really helped carry this offense, especially in in this stretch right now with, you know, Christian Yelich at the top and he's gone up and down and same thing for Willie Adamas just behind him. Um, William has been like that really steady force at the top of the order. Yeah. I was, I was curious about 
you know, other players who in their first season with the Brewers have been as impactful as William Contreras has. So look, again, war is not perfect, but it's just a guide. So Fangraph's war is the preferred version for me. First season with the Brewers, highest war. You can surely guess number one in franchise history. 2018. Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich. 7.7 war. Number two is interesting. 2019, a catcher. Yasmani Grandal was worth 5.3 war. Then you go back 1978, Larry Heisel was a five war player. We are so fortunate we get to see him around at batting practice all the time. He's down in the field. The most gentle, kind, awesome guy, and we're so happy he's still around Brewers baseball. He was 290, 34 homers, 115 RBIs in 1978. The Brewers' first like huge free agent signing. He got like two million for three years or something <laughs> like that in a record-setting deal. And then I was the next highest WAR for a player in his first year with the Brewers, unless I'm screwed up my list. I think it's Travis Shaw, 2017. I was surprised to see that. He was a 4.7 war player, 273, 31 homers, his, his uh, 31 homer, 84 C, uh, RBI season. So then you come up on William Contreras. He's, so, he's 4.2 F war so far. Um, he has a chance to be, you know, it's one of the best catching seasons in Brewers history. And I think clearly the club MVP for this team since Christian Yelich has cooled rather significantly over the last couple of weeks. Maybe those guys were neck and neck for a while, but now it's, it's William Contreras. So just one more stat. Weighted runs created plus is like a, a good offensive stat because you can compare across eras. It corrects for ballpark factors, all those things. It's like a measure of like how well did you perform offensively. Um, William Contreras, 122, 22% above the average major league hitter. Can you name... If we start with 250 plate appearances as of the baseline, the best weighted runs created plus for a Brewers catcher in franchise history. Oh my gosh. It was in a, it was 250, it was it was close to 250 plate appearances. So it was in a relatively part-time role in kind of a timeshare role. He has been on the pod. <laughs> I love this. Bill Schroeder. I was, gonna, I was just going to guess Rock. <laughs> 1987, Bill Schroeder is, um, and I didn't write down the war, so I can't tell you, but someone will have to look it up and you can find it for yourselves. But <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but anyway. Anytime that we can bring up Rock on the podcast, it's a good day. That was a, that was a good hint. Anyway, yeah, my point is that um, William Contreras has had exactly the impact that they were hoping for. And, oh, by the way, they got Yoel Piamps in that trade, too. Yeah, I think the front office is continually patting themselves on the back. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you saw this happen in December, and you're kind of like, all right, whatever. You know, moves get made. But the impact is still going. I mean, the ripple effects. And it's not bogus. It's not a one month or two months. He's been good and consistent all season long. And he plays like a 10-year vet. That's like in the prime of his career, honestly. Um, the way he talks to guys on the mound, the way he's prepared. I know a lot of times it gets overlooked about just being prepared. But I think I think when, you, when we get to see kind of the behind-the-scenes stuff where he's in the batting cage – uh, the early hitting and things like that. Like he's just m more prepared than a lot of guys that you see across baseball. And 
um, I don't know. He's he's the old school willing to go out of the zone and hit the ball. I think his approach is fantastic. And I he hits a lot of ground balls. I think he literally walks up to the plate and looks at the defense and tries to find the biggest gap in the infield defense and then says, I'm going to hit a ground ball over there <laughs> because he's so good at doing it and he has such good back control. And I think a lot of times it gets overlooked, but um, uses all fields. I, he's Right now he's one of the most complete players. And the way he anticipates at the plate and the adjustments that he makes um, is something to watch. If you're a kid out there and you're looking for somebody to kind of look for as a right-handed hitter and say, what, you know, what kind of approach does he have? Um, he doesn't miss a fastball. He can hit fastballs. He adjusts to curveballs. Right now, his changeup is the only weakness, but if he faces a pitcher that doesn't have a good one, then advantage goes to him. So, yeah, right now, just a very complete player at the plate. He hits lefties, too, which is like hitting, you know, this club, we've talked a lot crushes about lefties. lefties. He crushes lefties, and that's been another really important sort of Left-handed thing. relievers, too. I forgot. I wrote this stat down. He's 16 for 32 against left-handed relievers. That's 500. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I think like in some pretty key categories, he is leading the way. He leads the team with a 350 average with runners in scoring position. Um, with two strikes, his average is, isn't great. It's over 200, but he has seven home runs on the season with two strikes. And Tim, you were just talking about how much he loves ambushing fastballs. And while well, on first pitch... His average is over 400 um, in terms of his ability to, to get on on the first pitch. So, I mean, he's just been, I don't know, if he it feels like he is the kind of hitter that could come up with that clutch hit, you know, as we get down the stretch, as you get into the postseason, right? Like, as you're getting into all these matchups and having to either add on runs late or come from behind, it feels like he could be that guy that could you know, consistently come up with that, that timely clutch hit for you that can make a huge difference in the game. So I think he's, he's absolutely getting it done um, at the plate. Two other guys we should talk about um, the trade deadline additions of Mark Canna and Carlos Santana. You know, they initially got off to slow starts, but it feels like they've really found their way here in the last two weeks and they're getting there. They've been in there every day. Um, Carlos Santana stayed in there despite a sprained ankle. Mark Hanna's gotten regular playing time now. We've seen him at the corner outfield spots. We've seen him DH. We've seen him play first base. Um, so Mark Hanna has reached in 16 consecutive games. For him as a Brewer in the last month, it's been a 296 average, three homers. Carlos Santana, 225 average for him. However, he's hit seven home runs with Milwaukee, and both of them uh, combined – they're at 34 RBIs. So it just feels like what they've done to help lengthen the lineup with like experience and quality at bats and competitive at bats has been, I think, huge. And a big reason of why they've been able to put together the offensive numbers that they did in that nine game winning streak in August. You're actually staying away from the microphone this time so that Tim can <laughs> actually say something and not have me climb all over him. Yeah. Well, first, I'll lump, you know, since we're talking about all of these transactions, people, um, I, I'm going to lump them together just for the last 15 games because I did this math and I hope it's right. But they have 25 walks to 34 strikeouts, which is a pretty good, um, pretty good look at what they're doing at the plate. They're having some long ABs, willing to take their walks. 
Um, singling out Mark Canna, he stands right up on the dish. It's intimidating to pitchers. Um, if you throw inside, he'll get hit by the ball. doesn't matter if it's 96 with run. He just will wear it. He's done it 121 times in his career. A lot of people don't want to do that. They stand away from the plate. They don't want to get hit. Um, but the reason he stands so close is he can cover the outside pitch. If you look at the Philly series, he had that home run opposite field to right field on a fastball away. Um, and then later on in the ball game, ninth inning, he's facing Craig Kimbrell and 95 up and in or 96, he pulls it and maybe broke his bat, but he jams a ball out the left to get a base hit. So he knows himself, you know, so when you're facing a hitter that knows his approach and knows himself and knows where he's standing at the dish, what he's willing to swing at, what he's not, it's really tough for a pitcher to figure out how do I face this guy? Um, and so Canada's just right now, just a very tough enigma when it comes to where does, where's my out pitch? You know, where am I going to go safely where I don't think he's going to be able to do anything with it? And then Carlos Santana being a switch hitter, his right-handed numbers have improved lefty. He's done really well because he loves right field. I don't know why, but when he's at the dish right-handed, he'll hit the ball to right field. When he's <laughs> at the dish left-handed, he pulls everything to right field. doesn't matter if it's outside, he will pull it. Guy loves right field. He defends it at first base. He doesn't want the ball to go to right field. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know why, but Carlos Santana just, you know, the, everything he does is driven towards right field. And uh, it's just a great approach. It's just what you want to see. And it's very tough for switch hitters to be able to, to have that approach from both sides. But um, they're really coming into their own. And what I love is that they've just continued to do that. They, this is pretty consistent now for the last two or three weeks where we're seeing three of these guys uh, play some of their best ball. Well, like I'll look at it from the front office perspective too. I think this was a case of like having a philosophy of what you wanted to do at the deadline and then executing on it. Because if you listen to Matt Arnold in the weeks running up to the deadline, he always talked about adding responsibly, meaning we're not going to mortgage the future for a two month addition. And so I think they targeted bats that they thought they could help but that we're not going to empty some of this top-level talent. And and that's not to say they didn't talk trades that would have emptied the top-level talent, but they just didn't find a deal that worked. Instead, they found these slightly lesser deals. So if I remember the chatter correctly at the deadline, Jamer Candelario was a big name that a lot of Brewers fans wanted um, because third base was an area where there was room for an upgrade. So if you look at what's happened since then, he's been pretty good for the Cubs. Um so it's, it's not to say that that hasn't worked out. It's a 118 way to runs created plus, but 255, 328, 481 for Candelario, which is, which is good production. But it's, again, war, imperfect, but just a way to compare players. It's, it's 0.3 war. If you look at Canna and Santana together, it's 0.8. So they're getting more from these two players than they would have gotten had they gone for Candelario. And that, the Cubs gave up two top 30 prospects to get um, you know, a really good player in, in Candelario. And the Brewers um, didn't. So it's just an interesting, I think, way of thinking about roster construction and sort of targeting players that you think you can, that, that can help you, but you're not taking a chunk out of your future. So um, it, it's, it's, it's a case where it's worked out. Um, both those players have contributed. And Carlos Santana has done it with the glove too, which is also really important. Yeah, I think Santana's done it with the glove. And, you know, Mark Canna, stop me if you've heard this before, but versatility. 
of being able to cover, you know, multiple positions of we've seen him in the outfield, first base, DH, and it, it's, it feels like he's been in there every day the way that he's swinging the bat and kind of what that's done to lengthen the lineup, Tim, the, the walks, as you said, like that, those are huge numbers of, you know, this is not a team that is going to be a juggernaut in terms of like home runs and power. So their ability to like put together these pressure innings and create traffic and put runners on and, you know, just keep the line moving. That's kind of how they've been able to do it offensively and pick up their production offensively. Um, the as we got into September, the waiver deadline passed, which is your final opportunity to add to your roster um, and all players acquired before September 1st are postseason eligible. So one name that we have not seen yet but could be a factor here down the stretch is Josh Donaldson. He had been with the Yankees um, dealing with a calf injury, so he's actually been out since the middle of July. He's been on the 60-day IL for the Yankees. He'd been released by them. The Brewers signed him to a minor league deal. He's currently in Nashville. Um, They want to get him on his feet, playing at bats, see how he feels uh, medically, if he can pass all those tests. But it's possible we see Josh Donaldson, and he's 37. He's got a lot of time in the league. He's a former All-Star, former American League MVP. He's had power in the past. Um, It feels like, you know, why not, you know, take a shot on, on a veteran guy that could maybe impact this team moving forward. Why not is the right way to think about it because this is a minor league. De- you know, there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. There's really no such thing as a bad minor league deal. So this is absolutely zero risk. And getting him on the field was the key. When we talked to Matt Arnold on that off day, uh, when they when they signed this deal, the key was to get him some at bats, maybe significant at bats at Nashville, just to kind of see what you got and. He did not have a good year with the Yankees. He gave some power, but the, when you look at the, the rest of the numbers, it was not the best version of Josh Donaldson. And look, he did get on the field already for Nashville. He played on Sunday. No, he played on Saturday. Um, and he got three plate appearances and walked. So he's going to just have to play a little bit, and then the Brewers can kind of see whether he's somebody who they think can help. Andrew Monasterio has done a really nice job filling in since Brian Anderson got hurt and then really cooled off and just hasn't produced since his he was really hot in April. Um, but now Monasterio has has cooled as well. And the, if you look at the production um, at, from third base, the, that's an area where the Brewers are below league average um, and probably trending downward. So Donaldson just gives them another option if he's able to get healthy. But Matt Arnold really cautioned us to say, like, pedigree, this guy has lots of postseason experience. We think he's someone who can help us, but we need to see it. So I think they're going to have to see it at Nashville for a while. Well, isn't he getting paid, like, prorated big league minimum? Yeah. it, it the, so the like, super cheap or something like that. Yeah, and it's just it yeah, doesn't so, cost you a roster spot. It doesn't, like, like yeah. literally there's no downside. And as Sophia said – because he's in the organization as of, you know, basically midnight August 31st, I guess, he can be postseason eligible because their Brewers have some guys on the 60-day injured list that they can kind of borrow those spots. So there's sort of four spots that you can use. Um, unless I, I mean, one of them could be Ashby. He's one of the guys I know they, they – Aaron Ashby is pitching again in the minors, and they hope he can, 
give him some innings maybe in the bullpen down the stretch. But anyway, there's some spots that the Brewers can use to should Josh Donaldson hit a little bit at Nashville, be healthy, look like Josh Donaldson, um, there is a way to get him onto a postseason roster. Well, I, I start digging in, trying to see, okay, where's some value here outside of, you know, him just absolutely tearing it up in Nashville and them calling up. Um, so, number one, he's good in high-level, high-leverage situations. Uh, when things get dicey, he's pretty cool and calm, and that's been his career. That's his track record. And he also bats 293 career against the Cardinals. So, they got some games coming up against the Cardinals. <laughs> he has some experience. Uh, maybe that'll help. Plus, they're about to play the Yankees. Who knows? Maybe he can give some tips on how to beat the Yankees. <laughs> you go pick up Santana. You pick up Santana. You start playing Pittsburgh. You're like, hey, what do you got on this guy? You were in the clubhouse with him. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's part of it. But I think the biggest thing with picking up Donaldson is is one or two things. Either it's going to, you know, maybe uh, maybe spark something for, for some, you know, Monasterio or Anderson. Like some of these guys, uh, like maybe it'll push them a little bit. Um, or the downside is they, they don't do well. And then you bring up Donaldson. So it, to me, they are just, they're kind of doing some incentive. Hey, we have a guy that's proven in some ways, like maybe, you know, if you're not producing and we've seen this from Craig council, I'll keep saying it because he keeps doing it. If you're not producing at the plate, if you're not hitting, they'll just put somebody else out there and run with that person. So, um, I, that kind of goes against the norm of what he's done in years past. So I don't know. I think it's almost like, I don't want to say a threat that seems too strong, but like, um, you know, some incentive to do better because we have another guy. And anytime you feel that pressure, it goes one or two ways. It can either help you and you produce more or it goes reverse and, uh, you feel the pressure and then they make a change. Well, uh, the triple A season in, ter in terms of the timeline, will end September 24th, which is one week before the final homestand and the final week of regular season play. So there is time for him to build up. Um, the active rosters have expanded to 28. So you get 14 pitchers, 14 position players. They've called up Owen Miller, and they've brought up Clayton Andrews. Now, there we know there's going to be a lot of active roster management, let's say, in terms of how they use that 14th bullpen spot um especially if they decide to go with a six-man rotation they have colin ray up right now to fill in for adrian hauser's spot um owen miller's been up he's he came up huge in the philly series um so yeah there's there's all kinds of options and we'll see kind of how they exercise that depth and those options in the next couple weeks but as we wrap up guys adam refreshed and rejuvenated from his weekend away of Labor Day weekend. Do you want to start with your stat? Because you gave us a nice little tease before we got started. My stat is going to be six, which is the number of Colorado-born major league players who have played for the Brewers. And Colorado's on my mind because I just spent an incredible extended Labor Day weekend in Rocky Mountain National Park, which is like so beautiful as to be like mind blowing. And it hadn't been there since I was a kid. So it was a good little refresh, but the, the Colorado born player who's played the most games for the Milwaukee Brewers is James Mouton from 2000, 2162 games. He was a spring training hero. If I remember correctly. So that's my uh, stat of the week. It was either going to be that or one thousand or 12,183, which is the highest, point of the road that slices through Rocky Mountain National Park, which we traversed. I think that guy played for one of my dad's minor league teams when he was with the okay. Astros. 
I think I had his card. Signed. He had a brother, Good Lyle news. Mouton. There was James and Lyle. That's awesome. Yeah, James Mouton. I hadn't heard that name in years. Wow, that's Colorado and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> my, stat. my stat of the week is not as cool. Uh, mine is 114. Can anybody tell me what that is? Uh, number of uh, Tim Dillard strikeouts in 2008. <laughs> 2008, 2007, 6, and 9 <laughs> to get to that many strikeouts. No, it's uh, grounded into double plays. Uh, the Brewers are fourth in baseball and grounded into double plays, which is not always necessarily a bad thing because the Braves are second with 118, just four more. But the Braves also hit a home run every 18 at bats, so there's a little bit of difference there. But I think what makes it important – as you go back to last night, first game against the Pirates, uh, with guys on base, there were two sack flies early on in the ballgame. That was the only two runs of the game. And then later on, when Yelich was up, first and third, one out, he ends up grounding into that double play to the pitcher. So I think down the stretch, the difference maker is going to be the sack fly over the grounded into double play. Uh, or the just the fly out, or just the strikeout, rather than going down and, and taking another runner with you. Um, I think down the stretch, if they can uh, just eliminate the grounded into double play, I think they have a chance to do something very special because that right there, those things are the rally killers and the momentum changers. Yeah, last night was a great example of that. Um, my stat, I have two, which I kind of already said, but it relates to August and how they were able to put this together. 5.31 runs per game. That is their highest mark of any month this season. So I think for as much as fans have been waiting for offensive production consistently, here you go. That was their best month of the season. Um, hopefully there's some things that you can sustain there. Um, and then I think on the other side of that, 336, the team earned run average. That was also their lowest mark. Um, of any month this season. So just putting those two together, that's a pretty good formula uh, for success. So pitching, continue to do what it's doing. Offense, putting it all together. We talked about Can and Santana. I think they're a big reason why. Um, William Contreras, of course. So yeah, those are my, uh, those are my two stats. Chris Narvison is the pitcher, by the way, who has the most appearances for the Brewers. I know people have, are going to have lots of follow-up questions about my Coloradans. I don't, yeah, we don't have a single uh, current Coloradan, I can't even say that, on the roster right now. As you know, the last was Taylor Rogers last year. I'm sure you knew that. Yes, right. Littleton, Colorado's Taylor Rogers. Anyway. Now reunited with his twin, Tyler, with the San Francisco Giants. And I am now reunited with my brain, so I'm going to get back and do better on next week's <laughs> podcast. I'll come up with a great stat that'll just blow your mind. I'm going to start working on it right now. Well, that is a hell of a tease for next week's <laughs> Brewers Unfiltered. <laughs> but uh, yeah, guys, it's uh, this was a fun one. A lot, lot going on. September baseball, 25 games left. The Brewers will continue the road trip here. Two more against the Pittsburgh Pirates, their last meeting. That will wrap up the season series with them. And then it's off to New York and Yankee Stadium. So should be a fun weekend coming up. And then we'll be back home to play the Miami Marlins and the Washington Nationals. So uh, thanks for listening in with us here on Brewers Unfiltered. Adam, Tim, Sophia, we appreciate you listening, checking in with us, following along. It's going to be a fun ride here to the end. 
So make sure you're keeping up with the Brewers on at Brewers, all of the social media platforms. And we'll talk to you next week.